Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans. For ConnectingVets.com, I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Whether you call it cannabis, weed, ganja, pot, the word evokes images of good times. But we're talking about it today because the pure and simple fact is many veterans are benefiting from it today as medicine. And yet it remains illegal. Worse, it remains taboo to discuss with the VA at certain locations, despite their statements to say otherwise. And made even worse by governments that won't do anything to fix it. Hell, they won't even vote on a bill about it as it pertains to veterans. So, the veteran service organization AMVETS has stepped up and created a day-long virtual event about cannabis. Sunday, June 27th is the Veterans Alternative Healthcare Summit, and my guests today will be part of the event. And on this episode, they're going to offer a kind of mental firepower about the cannabis movement that is rarely heard. Weaving together threads of the broken healthcare system, and institutional racism. This conversation will leave you shocked and hopefully enlightened. So let's start and meet our guests. Uh, hi, my name is Etienne Fontan. I'm with Berkeley Patients Group, as well as the Veterans Action Council. Uh, basically, veteransactioncouncil.com, bpg.com, and the letters ATN420 on social media. I'm with the West Virginia Army National Guard in service from 1989 to 1993 and activated for the uh, Desert Storm as an artillery attachment to the French Foreign Legion. Hi, thank you for having me today. Um, my name is Wanda James and I am the CEO of Simply Pure Dispensary. My husband and I are the first African-Americans legally licensed in America to own a dispensary, an edible company, and a cultivation facility. We have been licensed now since 2009. I am a graduate of the University of Colorado Naval ROTC program. I served in the Navy from 1986 to 1991. I was assigned to integrated underwater sound surveillance. We were sub-hunters, so I worked with the P3 squadron um, in helping them detect and 
find uh, all of the Russians during the Cold War. Since then and coming out of the Navy, I have worked for two Fortune 100 companies and my husband and I have started uh, probably 10 or 15 different businesses, including five restaurants, three dispensaries. And, you know, I have been a cannabis connoisseur since I was 16 years old, and it's something that I am very proud of. My name is Sharisa Jackson. I am the current Chief Medical Executive of AMVETS. I am a retired Air Force nurse after 23.5 years and 14 days. I survived four um, deployments, three to combat, twice to Iraq, once to Afghanistan. Um, I am a best-selling author of a book, talking about my experience of dealing with my post-traumatic stress. It's called At Peace, Not In Pieces. I managed the HEAL program at AMVETS. HEAL stands for Healthcare Evaluation, Advocacy, and Legislation. Um, we also received a nod from President Trump about our suicide prevention program, where we saved over 200 veterans from taking their lives. I am truly here as an advocate for cannabis because I have so many veterans come to our HEAL program asking for alternative options and holistic options for their care. And so um, that's why I created the um, Veterans Alternative Healthcare Summit. And um, that's it. It's been a minute since we've been on the show together. <laughs> and uh, I got to say, I'm excited about what you're getting ready to talk about. <laughs> the full force focus on cannabis, on medical marijuana. And uh, it's a virtual event on Sunday, June 27th. And the purpose of the conference is to inform veterans and their families on the benefits of medical marijuana. Let's go ahead and just start with the elephant in the room. How yeah. can this help a veteran yeah. and not be considered just like a recreational way to get high? Yeah, I'm glad we're opening with that, um, Phil, because that's exactly the reason why I created the Veterans Alternative Healthcare Summit. As the chief medical executive of AMVETS, um, I didn't realize we had a resolution that said that we're in favor of, of cannabis as it relates to PTSD and the treatment for PTSD and research. And so when I discovered that, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I have to talk about this because a lot of veterans come to my HEAL program that stands for Healthcare Evaluation, Advocacy and Legislation, asking for holistic alternative options to their health care. We all know that 22 veterans die each day to suicide because of the opioid epidemic, because um, veterans, you know, have mental health challenges and things of that nature. So when I found this resolution that AMVETS had been sitting on, I knew I had to come out here um, and just talk about it and let veterans know that there's other alternatives and for them to decide for themselves what is the best option. As a clinician, as a nurse, um, since 2003, I survived four deployments, three of those to combat, and I came back with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I wish someone had told me I had options beside the classic medications that was given to me. So I just wanted to spread the word and let them know that there's other options out there. And this conference will give them every bit of information they will need to know to make that informed decision. When I hear of cannabis and I hear of those that need to treat it, you know, naturally the conversation across the country has turned to PTSD and there's elements of the combat experience that require, I think, a, just, a, just a 360 degree look at how best to make the patient feel better. I know that also the, you know, the combat warfighter is not the majority of the military. And yet when I hear veterans clamoring for use of cannabis, I know that they can't all possibly be having that same sort of post-traumatic experience related to their deployments. Uh, what other benefits can a veteran find in the use of cannabis? 
I, and I think that's a good that's a good point because it's not being used solely for post-traumatic stress. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. It can be used for chronic pain. As we all know, that's one of the biggest claims that a lot of veterans get for disability is um, pains and ailments, right? So um, a lot of veterans are using cannabis for um, chronic pain. They're using it for anxiety and depression and mental health challenges. Um, and even kids are using it for epilepsy. We, we have patients who um, have cancer. They're using it for um, cancer as well. So it's, it's a nausea and vomiting. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So it's just a matter of figuring out as an informed person, you know, what is best for me? Because this plant is truly a miracle plant to some because it's been really able to help them with, with a lot of conditions, which is why we have two great guests here with us that can really go into what they're seeing as well as veterans. Is it possible that there are veterans that are interested in cannabis for the wrong reasons? Go ahead, Ms. Wanda. I, I heard you there in the background. And, and I'm so sorry to jump in on this piece, but because we do actually treat vets um, and because as a veteran and even before my military service, I've been using cannabis since I was 16 years old. So what I wanted to say is what are the wrong reasons? I, I'm, I'm missing all of that. And part of in discussing with military people and starting to change the hearts and minds of people. I mean, I'm a former military officer. The only time that I didn't smoke cannabis was the five years that I was in the Navy. And the reason for that was, is because the, the penalty was too much. You know, an officer with illegal drugs, you know, directly to Leavenworth, you know, no plea bargain, no nothing, just, just done. So is a joint worth that in my life? No, it's not. But however, what really upset me the most being a young military officer was 75 cent top shelf drinks in the officers club. And if I could out drink all of the Marine Harrier pilots, then, you know, everybody was super proud of me, no matter how sick I was, no matter whatever, you know, you put yourself in those positions. And while I was fortunate, I've never had a negative situation in the Navy with alcohol because my brothers were my brothers and they were fantastic. However, now that we're starting to pull back the layers of the military and we're talking to women and rape is an issue at all of the service academies, rape is an issue on all of the naval bases, rape is an issue on all the army bases, and almost every one of those circumstances that we're talking about of rape and bad behavior is combined with the massive use of alcohol in the military. So when we start off this conversation, we need to not talk about why anybody is using it for the wrong reasons, because there are no wrong reasons. Um, cannabis is not like alcohol. It will not make you do things that you wouldn't normally, wouldn't normally do. And as a matter of fact, I've got to say that my cannabis use is probably the reason why I got through my college career. Um, and even as an adult, without having any negative alcohol scenarios, because I have chosen cannabis and not alcohol as a young person. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and today we're talking about medical marijuana an AMVETS Alternative Healthcare Summit, a virtual event which will be held on Sunday, June 27th. My guests are all veterans today, and over the years, they've become some of the biggest voices in the movement to legalize marijuana. We'll hear from Etienne Fontan, who's one of the very first cannabis dispensary owners in the country, and the Berkeley Patients Group now services patients from California to Nevada. But his activism is one of the key reasons that many states even have medical cannabis programs. Later, we'll hear from AMVET's Chief Medical Officer, Sharisa Jackson. 
But we'll pick back up at the part of the interview where we're talking with Navy veteran Wanda James, the CEO of Simply Pure Dispensary in Denver, Colorado. And for two decades, she's been a force in the cannabis movement. So, when I asked about the dangers of cannabis becoming just another vice for veterans, she made a powerful stand. I come from a family of military members. I'm the first person to be commissioned an officer. I'm the first person to be in a, a Fortune 100 executive in two Fortune 100 companies. I've run and I own probably more than 15 businesses in my entire life. I'm currently the CEO of a cannabis business. I'm the president of CGI, which is the Cannabis Global Initiative. So we, we help people get involved in, in cannabis. I sit on the board of a, a number of high highfalutin <laughs> companies and the phrase I do more before 6 a.m. than most people do all day is extremely true. So the idea, and, and let me just say this too, I was elevated before I did this broadcast. So for many of you would say, am I high right now? Yes, I'm elevated and I'm extremely eloquent. I know what I'm talking about. This is not the same if I'd gone out and done you know, three shots of tequila. And we need to stop making that comparison between cannabis and alcohol because it is not the same. Okay, we'll make a break right there because that was power. Let me go lay that down here. So that that you know, I've never seen Phil pause like that, Wanda. So I think I think you you, you struck something there, and I think it's very important that we uh, we do bring this up because that stigma is out there. I I received that stigma from our own um, members of um, Ambex. That's that's what they said. I suppose picking up where we left off, can I ask, are there cases where people can be less productive on cannabis? And I want to stick with you, Wama, because you made such a passionate argument in the last segment. Well, let's talk about the for you why. to be elevated and to be a business owner and to have the background and the education and the skill sets that you have is certainly commendable. But are there folks out there that maybe need to heed a word of caution that the indica might throw you into the couch? that you might not be living your best life if you're baked? Because I can certainly remember that there were people that I knew that used cannabis that were not likely to be MBAs and overachievers. And this is coming from the cheap seats in the lawn at the concert with my bros. Well, and I guess by that, you know, <laughs> I would have to come back and say, you know, does um, milk make people underachievers? Because everybody I know that's addicted and homeless and, and not living their best life and not going to work, they also drink milk. So is, is milk the problem in society or is cannabis the problem in society? My point is, is that everybody has their trigger points on different things as to why Ray Ray ain't got up off the couch in 15 years. Yeah, Ray Ray smokes some weed. Ray Ray also drinks some milk. He probably has some tequila. Ray Ray may also have some other issues that we haven't diagnosed yet and he is self-medicating with cannabis. And the idea, and so so many people use cannabis. That is not the issue in society. Let's be very clear. And we've also looked at, you know, the medical um, aspects of cannabis. Cannabis is not addictive, despite what anybody says. Now, 10% of the population is addicted to some of anything. So let's talk about sugar. Diabetes is killing Black people by record amounts. Uh, sugar, 
Burger, the worst thing on the planet. McDonald's, the worst thing on the planet. Red Bull has killed more people and is more addictive than cannabis. So there are so many, tobacco, let's start there. I mean, when I think of all of the Master Chiefs in the Navy, I mean, puffing away and drinking coffee every day. Do you see those coffee cups? Oh my God. And when we talk about addiction, I do have an addiction and it is to caffeine. If I go one morning without coffee, I have massive headaches personality change, can't deal with anything else. Thank you, Navy, for giving me that addiction because I am addicted to caffeine. If I don't have a joint today, I don't have a headache. I don't have personality changes. I don't have anxiety, right? Um, as I do if I don't have coffee or if I don't have sugar. So when we talk about things in society here, I, I mean, let's get it all straight and talk about what cannabis is and why people, you know, use it. And then when we say things like, well, you know, you're just going to go out there and get wasted and, and, and baked. Um, I don't really know what that means. Yes. Have there been times when people will use cannabis at a party to giggle and have a good time? Sure. Why not? Um, but at the same token, just because you're giggling and having a good time to me doesn't necessarily indicated, indicate baked and can't deal with life. What else is going on there that we have to discuss? Um, and I don't know, for all of the vets that we actually treat, the vets who are patients of Simply Pure, every single one of them have told me that they do not want to take big pharma drugs. Every single one of them have told me that cannabis is what makes them feel normal and lets them come out of their shell and talk to people and be a father and be a mother and yeah. be a friend. So we need to start to change what we believe and especially what we have been fed as veterans, because the fact that we can't get cannabis at the officer's club, but we can get alcohol at the officer's club is a real problem. Another real problem is the fact that veterans who are suffering from illnesses related to their service are not given cannabis to heal. That's a problem that encouraged Etienne Fontan, an Army veteran and one of the first dispensary owners in the country, to fight for change. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Right on, brother. Hey, first, tell me uh, real quick, just so we can get up to speed. Uh, your military bio, Gulf War veteran. We're talking Desert Storm, early 90s. I uh, joined the West Virginia Army National Guard in 1988, and it happened to be an artillery unit. And it happened to be one of the best darn artillery units in the entire United States. And a couple of years later, after I joined again just to get GI Bill, I found myself attached to the French Foreign Legion in the Gulf War, doing uh, all kinds of fun stuff before the official war began and um, got uh, sustained injuries over by Al-Basra and uh, was medevaced and given all the morphine that I wanted. And I uh, was a creative person, was going to school for art and um, uh, I had a, a very uh, brave major basically tell me there uh, had I tried hashish to get off the morphine that I had become addicted to. And I laughed at him and he laughed and he stopped laughing and I realized he was being serious. And uh, it started me on a journey into the underground because I, it's not like I could go to the PX and pick up a gram of hashish. I had to go to very dark seedy places. I had to go to bars off base to score in Ansbach, Germany. And then I came back to the United States, uh, being a National Guard once activated, then reactivated into society. Hard time, really hard time and very confusing time. 
uh, easy to the point where I could pick up a fifth of Jack Daniels a day and then start into a second bottle because that was easy and affordable. And of course, right on base. Mm. So for me, it's been a long journey as a patient advocate. I've been physically removed from four different VA facilities just for mentioning my cannabis use in the 90s because there was no understanding. Labeled a known drug user, physically escorted off the property and made to feel like a second class citizen, lost my benefits, et cetera. So for me, I uh, got involved with a group called the Cannabis Action Network and spent the next two years traveling around the country, doing rallies, teachings, and tours, educating people about their rights, uh, as well as telling my story as a veteran. I was diagnosed with Gulf War syndrome, or now Gulf War illness, where uh, we were exposed to, uh, I received in 97, a seven-page dossier of uh, nuclear, biological, and chemical proponents that we were hit with. We basically overran Iraqi positions so fast that we came across these bunkers half mile by a mile. And we kept moving and demolition was we were exiting the bunkers, they were coming in and literally they blew all that stuff up all around us and we got the fallout from that. And so I got a wasting syndrome where I wasted down to about 98 pounds and uh, cannabis had uh, stimulated my appetite and got me going. And I got angry out of making criminals out of my friends to have the medication that I needed and decided to change, change things. You know, I'd rather, you know, risk my freedoms. I'd rather stand on my feet than live on my knees. Do you see the parallel with that and the toxic burn pit community that we have today? Oh, without a doubt. Now, on, on, on top of the stress that comes with, you know, uh, deploying and surviving and coming back. I mean, we're still dealing with you know, we're saying the, the light term of 22 suicides a day, which we know it's some days it's more than that. So uh, there is uh, a disconnect between the medical community and the veteran, and there is no bridge. We seem to be that natural bridge. And that's why we have uh, fought through the grassroots change that we have over the past decades. And we've seen now how many states that have medical cannabis laws, okay, 40 plus states now. And we're seeing adult use with uh, the 18th state in Connecticut just the other day. So change is happening and it's coming. And one of the things I'm working with, I work with an organization called Veterans Action Council, and we're working actively behind the scenes with Teresa and other uh, legislators at the national and international level to change the laws. Uh, one of our veterans just changed international law on December 2nd of 2020 by getting met, uh, cannabis removed from the schedule four at the United Nations level. So now countries like uh, Japan and others start to now say they're going to be interested in importing or establishing a medical cannabis system within their country. Mm. Um. Can a veteran get in trouble for using cannabis? Can they lose their VA benefits simply trying to treat their condition with cannabis, regardless of the state they live in? Uh, yes, it can be. But uh, currently there is law in place that you are allowed to discuss uh, cannabis with your healthcare uh, professional in the VHA. However, how that individual VH, uh, VA facility handles it seems to vary from state to state and facility to facility, as we know by the quality of care that we receive. 
at the same time, there's a disconnect between the education uh, at each VA, depending on what state is actually taking place. Uh, you can lose your benefits depending, but you can fight and have them reinstated. Uh, there is injustices still happening, as we talked earlier about Sean Worsley in Alabama. There are still injustices happening to veterans, unfortunately, all over the United States. The case he's referring to is that of Sean Worsley, the Iraq War veteran and Purple Heart recipient who was held in an Alabama jail for felony possession of medical marijuana legally prescribed to him in his home state of Arizona. Worsley, who was just driving through the state on his way to visit his parents in North Carolina, was imprisoned for 10 months for simply having his medicine. We need protections. And so one of the things that Veterans Action Council are pushing for is to have a federal designation for veterans on our VA cards to be uh, cannabis patients so that we can have uh, protections in all 50 US states and territories so that we can travel with our medicine so that other veterans like Sean Worsley don't get abducted in states and harassed in states that don't have medical cannabis access or a medical defense. At the same time, we also want a voucher system through the VA so that we can have access so that uh, veterans can come down to uh, Wanda and uh, my dispensary and actually uh, spend federal money to actually purchase cannabis because the cost of cannabis is too high and those uh, veterans that are on disability uh, have a very limited income and cannabis is expensive and there needs to be access. And I'm not talking anything crazy here. This system is currently in play in Canada where right now Canadian veterans can actually order cannabis off the national pharmacy website right now. They can order you get, uh, depending on your disability, you can be uh, granted up to three grams per day and you can ingest that by any methodology. If you want it by edible form, uh, vaporization, vaporization, pill form, edible, etc., And it's covered by the Canadian system. So we want to talk to the VHA and actually have the Canadian VHA talk and uh, make something happen because our veterans need access to cannabis today. I've been risking my freedom as well as Wanda's been risking her freedom federally for way too long to uh, not see this injustice be righted. What do we have to do to stop this from just being a patchwork quilt of state laws? Why won't the federal government reclassify this, decriminalize this? In a day and age when we scream about COVID benefit packages costing too much or national infrastructure plans that nobody knows how to pay for, and yet we stand at the precipice of having a product and something that could be taxed and used on a federal level to generate some sort of revenue for the federal government. Like, Why are we here? What the hell does Congress need to have? Because we have, in my opinion, the best case studies of responsible use of this cannabis in veterans because the federal government is making more money on this on this plant than anybody involved in the industry whatsoever we are taxed under what is called a 280e tax penalty the 280e tax penalty was created in the 1980s for pablo escobar and folks like him that were putting billions of dollars in the bank um, buying property um, with obviously known drug money 
the 280E tax penalty effectively takes anywhere between 40 to 80% of your income. So in cannabis space, if you're opening, if you open a legal cannabis business, if you touch the plant on any level whatsoever, um, you are taxed on your total income. So for example, if I make $1,000 today and I pay my staff $300. If this was a regular business, at the end of the day, I would write off my computers, my electricity, my salaries, my all that kind of good stuff of running my business. And then what is left, I would be taxed on that amount. In cannabis, if I make $1,000 today and I pay out, like I said, $500 on, on, on staff and, and electricity and rent and computers, I am still taxed on the full $1,000 even though the United States government knows that I did not keep $1,000, but I'm taxed on that amount. So on every April 15th, every cannabis company out there, and, and granted, we've got some accountants and we've got some ways now so we can lower that. However, that still means that 60 to 40% of every dime that I make is going to the federal government off the top. We have no deductions. Well, we have tiny deductions, but none to speak of. We have no deductions and we are penalized for here in Colorado, we have 46,000 people who are badged and come to work every day. We generate over $2 billion worth of sales. We have paid over $1 billion worth of sales tax since 2014. And yet the owners in this industry are barely making it. And let me be very clear, the owners in the cannabis space are barely making it. Yes, my business does 5 million plus a year, easily, easily. However, <laughs> we are taxed on that five million, I, I mean, I, I I pay. I don't know what the top off the top of my head, but let's just seventy percent of that goes to the federal government off the top, which then leaves me very little money to pay my employees, to buy cannabis, to buy new computers, to put new lights in my in my farm, um, and then to pay the owners and to pay our investors. The only money that owners normally make out of their dispensary is what we pay ourselves in salary. So. The federal government are making out thick as thieves. And this is the reason why they are not allowing this to become federally legal. It's the only reason. However, when it's legal, what happens is we now protect your children. Now, 16 year olds can't get weed like I could get weed <laughs> when I was 16, right? Now, the federal government, the state government, and the local municipalities are all making tax dollars off of that, to which those tax dollars can go to a variety of things. Here in Colorado, Denver is a mess, excuse my language, has fucked it up entirely. But Denver wants to give more money to cops because cops wanted more money because now it's legal. They think that they need more money to. I don't know. I, I don't know what the cops do with the money. But Aurora, another city right next to Denver, has done some amazing things because they've taken a, 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 a large amount of the cannabis tax dollars and has put it toward their homelessness issues. So I would like to see cannabis tax dollars go to things like education, go to things like early childhood development, go to things like homelessness, go to things like veterans, go to things like stopping the drug war and helping those that have been impacted by the drug war to be able to come out of the slavery situation that they have been in. The other reason that the federal government hasn't legalized is because of slavery. America has never been without a slave state. Never. Never, ever, ever, ever have we not had slaves in America. The 13th Amendment ended slavery and immediately created a new slave laborer called prison and then left out all of the things of which would make you illegal. So every black man in America in 1965 was made a slave all over again. 
which we now see. My brother was a slave for 10 years. My 17-year-old brother was arrested with four ounces of weed. He was given a 10-year prison sentence. And my black brother, my black brother, picked cotton in Texas for four years to purchase his freedom. My black brother picked cotton in Texas to purchase his freedom. He was 18 years old. He had to pick 100 pounds of cotton a day to purchase his freedom in the early 1990s. So when I found that out, that's why I am a cannabis entrepreneur right now. It's not because of the money, you know, I'm, I, I have a resume. I, I, don't, I didn't have to do this. We did this because we wanted to put a black face on cannabis and we wanted to fight slave labor. And that's what this is about. 800,000 people a year are arrested for simple possession. Of that 800,000, 85% are black or brown, usually boys, between the ages of 17 and 24. The reason for that is, is because America now makes them slaves. I don't want to name the companies because I get in trouble for that. However, most of the Fortune 500 employs slave labor. The state of California brags about the fact they have firemen fighting these forest fires that are prisoners and they're paying them a dollar a day. A dollar a day to fight fires is slavery. If you buy your plants from the great big box stores that sell plants and lumber and all that stuff, those are all prison farms. So in other words, those companies get all of that farm labor for free. Do you guys know how much money I would have if I didn't have to pay my employees? Yeah. Seriously. So when we start talking about slave labor, and so why is cannabis related to slave labor and not meth? Because when you put somebody in prison that is addicted to a drug, you have to detox them before you can make them a slave. They know good darn and well that cannabis is not debilitating. They know that they can go after mostly boys between the ages of 17 and 24 because they're strong. We can make them slaves within the hour of which they arrive on the plantation. So these are the issues that are, are, I mean, are so ingrained and it's so blatantly obvious when you start to look at slavery in America, cannabis, mass incarceration, and why they're arresting poor black and brown kids is because their parents don't have attorneys that can get them out of jail for simple possession, which is a piece of cake, because I have yet to meet a white kid in college that went to prison. To follow up on, on that discussion as well, um, uh, $4 billion is what, on average, the United States government is making from 280E currently. So that unless we replace that with something, it is way too uh, sexy for the government to continue it on. But to follow up on your question, Philip, yes, the federal government can do it. The federal government has actually been growing for the past 40 plus years at yep. the University of Mississippi in Oxnard and providing 300 joints pre-rolled yep. in a tin a month to federal patients who have actually sued the federal government. Yep. So the Canadians got there and won their rights by suing the federal government. So mm -hmm. it looks like that a whole bunch of veterans need to get and start suing the federal government to get access to this cannabis that they've been growing for how many other years. So either do that or open it up for everybody because the reality is, is this is a medicine. The government knows it's a proven medicine. The government knows so well that it's grown it 
And of course, it's not very good cannabis. It's literally of Mexican variety, about four to five percent THC, and it fails mold and mildew testings. I know I've actually tested it and I was one of the pioneers in testing of cannabis in the United States. So I kind of have an idea about what I'm speaking toward. So they can do it. They just choose not to do it. And because they're making, as as Wanda has said so uh, eloquently, uh, a system has been completely put in place to uh, keep uh, our total economic system in a, uh, a slavery state of mind. If you look at how your underwear and your lingerie and other all of the clothing you wear for the majority are made by slave labor in prisons to this day, paying, uh, you know, on average of 40 cents to a dollar, maybe, uh, it, it causes a whole institutional understanding of our whole economic system, which is completely embroiled in this and that we have completely sustained. If you want your cheap um, 1999 jeans, well, that's not necessarily coming from overseas anymore. We have to unbuild a lot of systems that we have built upon uh, this prohibition for these past 70, 80 years now just surrounding cannabis. And as Wanda stated, we've enslaved generations and destroyed countless areas of society that didn't need to happen, but for somebody else's greed or necessity. We can change this if we want to. And we are two leaders that have proven that we can buck the system and change things. Get out, get informed, get active, join AMVETS, join a local organization within your state and area and get active and get involved. Find a way to use your voice to uh, make things better for our brothers and sisters in arms so they can have access to this cannabis today, not yesterday, not last week, not, not waiting. We're tired of waiting. We just take a minute and breathe. Uh, wow, so much power is woven into those arguments. I literally did not predict that we would be having a double and triple corded thread conversation about the fusion of the cannabis space, race relations, prejudice. There is so much more grown into this conversation, pardon the pun, but it is, it is mind blowing how many layers you guys have just uncovered in just the span of 40 minutes of chatting with you. I am honored to hear your personal stories, your conviction, for this cause. Um, I hate to end an, you know, I hate to end, end a story with, you know, contact your local official because it's, I, you know, I've covered you from blue water Navy to all the various things. I know AMVETS, you know what I'm talking about, Teresa, yeah. um, all the different causes we cover. And it's always like, well, contact your local official. And it's like, damn it. I, I want to do more than just call and yell at some page that answers the phone in Senator Van Hollen's office. Cause I know he don't give a crap. What I think is, for those of you that have been on the legislative side of this, is that enough? Can we call enough times? Can I email enough times? Like, like is that well, powerful enough? Well, well, for me, Phil, it wasn't powerful enough because me being in the role that I am as the chief medical executive on the national level for AMVETS, I'm I'm in Congress all the time. I'm, I'm testifying for veteran issues, women veterans issues. And it was no one in the veteran service organization space that was talking openly about cannabis. And when I discovered this last year and I discovered the efficacy of this plant and had veterans reaching out to me saying, help me, I want to learn. I want to know about cannabis. I don't want to be on these opioids. I felt as an advocate, as a clinician, first and foremost, and then as a veteran advocate, 
that I had to do something. And even me deciding to have my face out here as the spokesperson for one of the largest VSOs, one of the largest congressionally chartered VSOs and the most inclusive veteran service organizations, I knew that I had to do this. And I knew that was a first step in the hopes that other people will follow. And when I started seeing what other veterans within this cannabis space and seeing the Wanda James and Etienne Fontaine's and, and others that are out here fighting a good fight and being that model for veterans to be able to say, oh my God, you know, let me reach out to Wanda. Let me reach out to Etienne so I can get the help that I deserve. I can no longer sit silent. So not only do we all need to have a voice and speak loud and proud, but we all need to support each other when we're going through this cannabis journey, because if we don't look out for each other, who else will? But it's going to take all of us as veterans coming together, which is why this event is so important, because you'll see other veterans like Wanda and Etienne talking about their journeys and why they're so passionate about talking about cannabis in the veteran space also how it affects family members, also how it affects the community. So this conference was my way of com coming out, if you will, to be able to say, we're here, we're, we're hoping to make change. We're going to do what we can as a national organization to go before Congress and ask for those subcommittee hearings to ask to be heard. And we hope that other, vet other veterans will follow. And if I can add on to that as well, too, when we talk about what it is that we can do as vets, one, talk about your cannabis use. You know, I'm, I mean, honestly, if it doesn't affect your job, if you're not going to lose your job, please talk about it. Because here's the thing, you know, <laughs> NROTC, University of Colorado, three of my best friends, now that they know what I do, have come out and have told me how much they smoked in college, did same thing I did, didn't smoke in, and are, are now using it again, but have kept it a secret. Um, and obviously they've come to me and told me, and these weren't guys that I would have thought smoked. Um, one's a SEAL. Um uh, retired Navy SEAL. Uh, one is a Marine Harrier pilot. And one of them is a, um, uh, uh, a CB. Um, and so, you know, and in talking to these guys, and I was like, why didn't you guys ever tell me? They're like, why didn't you ever tell us? Like, I, I mean, because it's this weirdness that happens in this space, you know, I can run up to one of my, you know, old officer buddies and man, we can slap a bottle of tequila on the table and go to town. And no one is going to say anything that we were drunk off our ass and probably they probably drove themselves back to their their hotel room, but nobody has that conversation, right? But the idea that if I'm say, hey guys, you want to come by and sit in our backyard and smoke a joint with me and talk about old times, it, you know, all of a sudden people want to act like that's weird. And there is nothing weird about that. And as a matter of fact, that is the most wonderful thing that we can do as vets is to allow vets and even letting the people in the military know that we would be so much better off if we could buy a joint at the officers club instead of, you know, high end tequila. Mm. Normalize it's about changing the stigma. It's that stigma yeah. that's out here, Wanda, that if we as veterans don't stand up and like you say, yeah. be counted and yeah. let folks know what we're doing, we're not going to be able to change that stigma. I had to change that stigma within AMVETS's organization. I had yeah. to go before these old vets and they say to me, Sharissa, you just want us to be high. That's why you want to do this conference. And I had to educate them on the spot. It is not about being how it's about this plant being medicine. Let me tell you this. And I started ranting out all of this information, the stats and how veterans are coming off opioids and all of these pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And then it was like an aha moment for them. 
but it's yep. about bringing awareness. It's about changing that stigma. It's about seeing in the community and speaking openly in the community what this plant can and has done for veterans. And the only way to do that is to have a voice and for us to be heard. And let me remind everybody real quick too, when we start talking about quote unquote, you just want to get high. I am officially high right now. Do I sound like I'm slurring my speeches? Do I sound like I'm confused on the words that I need to say? Do I sound like I cannot handle whatever is coming at me right now? No, I'm not, but I'm elevated. And this is where we need to get people to understand it is not tequila. And normalize your use. You know, exactly what you're talking about is, is not, not being ashamed of it, showing people that you are. Yes, I am elevated during this interview as well. Do I sound out of it? No, I am well-practiced and well-versed and well-understood with my medicine, just like anybody else is. And it is for you to decide, and it is up to the individual to decide. But use your voice. Uh, we in the Veterans Action Council want to organize an actual lobby day up on Capitol Hill so that we can get veterans together and organize so that we can go speak as one unified voice as opposed to being uh, talked by or referenced by another organization. We found that we have to be our own best advocates, and that is by educating ourselves, educating those around us, and then going out and planting those seeds of information so that hopefully they will sprout within our representatives and legislators so that they can understand that there is a real need and access to this medicine. Right now I'm reading a study that just came out that over 7,000 troops died in the post 9-11 wars and a staggering 30,000 have died by suicide. If we were able to get off these oh. Uh, you know, the, the, there's two medications they give us and both offer us suicidal ideation. So cannabis does not. And so we need a natural alternative today. And we're past the research phase. We're using it now. So let's get past that and let's step forward today. We're holding our torches up in the dark for you to come join us to light your torches so that you can carry it into your dark part of the world and brighten it so that others can and carry your torch as long as you can and then teach someone else and then pass your torch along. So incredibly good. Sharissa, take us home real quick with the details on this weekend's event. Again, it is AMVETS Veteran Alternative Healthcare Summit. Where do I find out more information and uh, how do I register? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the event is on Sunday from nine until 6.30. It is on Sunday, which is PTSD Awareness Day. And I intended it for that day because of the importance of PTSD and me being a PTSD advocate and a survivor of PTSD. Um, you can certainly go to amvetshealprogram.org. The Eventbrite is up there. You'll see um, the Healthcare Summit up there. Click on that. It's free for veterans. It's 22 for non-veterans. It's 220 for um, um, businesses. We have uh, numerous sponsors. We have some um, free opportunities for veterans to get their certifications. Um, there's two scholarships that veterans can do um, through Osterdam University for online programs. The list goes on and on and on. Just, just come be a part of it. We have great speakers. We have um, Montel Williams as one of the keynotes. We have Dr. Sue Sicily as one of the keynotes. And you will definitely see um, Wanda and Etienne again at the summit. You don't want to miss this. Well, I love you all for your time. Thank you so much. The Veterans Alternative Healthcare Summit is again Sunday, June 27th. Details at amvets.org. Now, as a veteran and their fellow cannabis user, I'll say let's all do what we can to keep the cannabis conversation going and fight for the rights of those that want to use this medicine. 
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.